y'all doing? Good, good. Well, I hope all you are having a good morning and all is well. Uh, it's nice to be up here and not sick, have another chance to be able to talk about God's Word. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving as well. I guess I'm beating around the bush because, I mean, we just ended a song that said, free, free, free indeed, and I'm going to tell you how to be a good slave this morning. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> ironic, isn't it, to use that word slave and just proclaim to be free, but we're going to look at that for a minute. Forty times the words used in the New Testament. And uh, what if I told you that the apostles themselves were cool with calling themselves slaves? Often we read it bondservant, but in original text is doulos, um, is the word slave in Greek. And in Greek, now I'm from East Tennessee, so diakonos is deacon or servant. And to understand how these are written in Scripture and how they translate the message to us, we got to understand how they're being said because it's going to be profound what we're going to be talking about today. Um, slavery and slave is such a bad word. We think about oppression. We think about all kinds of bad stuff, especially in our culture today. And, uh, you know, far be it, a southern gentleman on stage and a white guy to be talking about it out loud, it, it, it would instantly turn people off. They would turn away and be like, oh, man, what is he about to talk about? This is going to be wrong, 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 wrong. But I, I want us to look at something about the word and find a beauty in it and an understanding in it beyond what, what we've deemed it to be. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and, and are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, let's look at uh, Matthew 6, chapter 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We are going to look at another passage today. Our main passage is going to be dealing with these two words, servant and slave, and how that identifies to us and how we identify to it and where we fit in God's kingdom and with each other. So I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 20, and I, I hope we're going to be in the Bible deep today, so if you'll turn with me to, with your devices or your Bible, I hope you guys hang, don't mind hanging out because we're going to be all in it today. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to be in 17 through 28. I'm going to read it, and then I want to set up a backlog because to understand this conversation and the gravity of it, I think we got to understand a few things that had happened before it and uh, exactly what Jesus is saying in it. So, now Jesus come up to Jerusalem and took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Oh, that's great news. Rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, and her sons kneeling down, or with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. 
And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on the other, on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? That's a mouthful. Then or they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and the left is not mine to give, but for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased and the two brothers with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what do we come here for? What, what do we come to church for? To be served or serve others. Jimmy talks about ditches. Is it this way, this way, or is both in the middle? How do we come to that understanding about that? We're, we're going to look a little bit before this, and we're going to get an idea of where the disciples' minds were when Jesus was saying this to them, because it might reveal a little bit about ourselves. So prior to this, in the very first part, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to raise again. But this is the third time in the scripture that he's told them this. The first time we can find um, in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. Now you can read this up on the screen, but I'm just going to go through it. It's just a reference point for you if you ever wondered. There's three times that Jesus predicted his death. This is the first. He goes on to tell them that this is going to happen. And Peter, in his mind, rebukes him. The word rebuke is a sharp criticism or a strong disapproval. Like, they're not going to kill you. What are you talking about? You're Jesus. And it's revealing because Jesus was like, get behind me, Satan. Called him Satan, get behind me, revealing what was in Peter's heart. Because in their mind, when they thought of Jesus and the Messiah, they thought about someone coming in and just destroying Rome, resetting up Jerusalem, resetting up the Jewish nation to rule over everyone. That Jesus would be this political Messiah that would rule over everyone and they would be a part of this kingdom and rule over others the way that they had been ruled over themselves. This is the mindset. That he had. He didn't know it was going to be a carpenter led to the cross at this point. That wasn't in his mind. He, he was thinking ambitiously that we're going to have this political Messiah and he's going to just raise up and, and put everybody under our foot and heal. Okay? Later on through, they bicker again in these chapters before. When you think about the Bible, what I'll challenge you is each section is broken down into verses. It wasn't written like that, in it, or written like that in this original context. It was just a flowing passage. If you if you could go back and just reread it as a flowing passage, and it kind of broadens into a whole conversation because it's good to have verse by verse breakdown for study purposes. But I think to get the true intention of what's being said, you got to read a lot before and a lot after. And like way before this conversation, 
we'll find out that the, the 12 guys, the disciples were arguing who was going to be over the greatest, who was going to be the greatest disciple. Like, I just saw Jesus walk on water. I can top that. Who is going to be the greatest disciple? You know what I mean? That's just far to think. And on top of that, uh, in this passage we just looked at, the gravity of the situation, they were told three times, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. They didn't want to hear it. And on this third time, we've got to understand how this conversation is flowing to even get it. Like, the word then in verse 20 is so strong to what's being said through 17 and 19. Jesus basically gives the gospel in three sentences. Okay? So imagine yourself in this conversation. Jesus pulls you aside and he's like, listen, they're going to take me, the Pharisees, the head priests, and they're going to turn me over to the Romans, the people that are in charge with the authority, and they're going to mock me. They're going to beat me. And they're going to sentence me to death. They're going to crucify me. They're going to strip my clothes of me. They're going to put crowns of thorn on my head, mocking me and who I am. They're going, to, they're going to gamble for my clothes. They're going to beat me with the cat of nine tails and just expose my bones, and I'm going to be bleeding. And they're going to put me on a cross, which is the worst way you could die. It was the most unhonorable death that there was during that time. And I'm going to raise back to life. That's amazing. That's amazing news. He's saying, this is going to happen to me. But I'm coming back to life. I'm coming back to life. But then there's that word then. It's an immediate application of something happening right after Jesus said this. And this reveals a lot of where the mindset was with the disciples. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asked something from him. And he said, what do you wish? What do you want? What is it that you want? And she requested that her sons, James and John, the disciples, one on the right, one on the left. She admitted that Jesus is the Messiah. This is going to be your kingdom. You're going to be on the throne. There's, they know about the 12 seats. They're like, hey, we got 12 thrones. With their mother, they sent her to do their dirty work, to ask Jesus I want to be placed second and third in command of the kingdom. And their mother wanting that for them, that great stature, was like, sure, I'll do that. I'll go up there. I will ask Jesus this question. And she did. Their minds were focused on where they were sitting in God's kingdom. Now, you got to think about what is the gravity of that. Well, before this, once again, if we back up a few chapters, there was something completely amazing that happened with James, John, and Peter. Jesus took them up on a mountain and transfigured in front of them. You know what that means? He showed them his full glory. He showed him in his glory himself, and God's voice come down thunderous over him, and this is my son, and with him I'm well pleased. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine seeing him in his glory right there in real life, and God in an audible voice sounding like thunder proclaiming him and have any doubt about who Jesus was? No, they didn't have no doubt. They knew there would be a kingdom. They knew there would be thrones. They knew who Jesus was. Okay? So, they were concerned where they were going to sit, where they would be seated, their status within this kingdom. Who are we? Who are we going to be in this kingdom? And they put their mother up to saying, I want to be second and third to Jesus. Let's read on. 
Jesus answered, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with, or I am baptized with? So the cup often references to suffering and wrath. He's like, look, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know that you're asking to suffer. And you've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. You've not had the Spirit come into your body. The day of Pentecost has not happened. The first church has not happened. You don't know what you're saying, is what he replied to them. But they said, with pride, we are able. We're able to do that, not knowing what they were saying. You know, we call Jesus our Lord all the time when we say we're under the Lordship of God. Do we really understand what that is saying? Okay, let's read on to what Jesus said. And he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom is prepared by my Father. There's something special about that passage. We're going to circle back to the latter of it. But the first part we're going to focus on, he's saying, yes, yes, that's going to happen. You are going to suffer. Eleven out of the twelve did die in the name of Christ. They were crucified. They did suffer. They were beaten. One was beaten and um, clubbed. They were stabbed. They were crucified. Only one was remained alive, and that was John. And even in that self, that would be lonely to know all your brothers were killed. Your great hope is in Jesus, but still the ones that are here, we know what death is. We feel that. We feel that pain to know and see people that we love go and to live as long as he did. You know what I mean? He had to have some kind of suffering in that long life, but joy at the same time. And we're going to find out how he had joy too. Let's go on down. Here's the wonderful thing. This is crazy. This is just a good revealer of who they are. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with their two brothers. See, they just outed Peter. Peter was up there and watched it transfigure, and James and John was just like, you know, there's only two seats beside Jesus. Let's, uh, let's get those, you know, forget about Peter. And the other guys, they were, they were really upset about this too. They were like, who are these guys jockeying for this position, right? I mean, think about it. You got 12 guys, 12 thrones, and they're worried about who's sitting beside of Jesus. And then you got Matthew writing this book, and he's like, yeah, they sent their mom to do the dirty work to ask Jesus for this. And then Mark wrote about it too. He left the mom out. He was just like, them guys asked Jesus for the second and third point of, of the, or the thrones. You know, they, they were all consumed with this. It wasn't just two of them. They were all wondering where they fit into God's kingdom and, and how they would be fit in there, what it would look like. But Jesus being the good teacher he is and the good savior he is, and the love he has. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't say, hey, you guys are idiots. What are y'all thinking? What did he do next? Let's, let's look. Let's see. And after the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased in the two brothers. But Jesus called them, or with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself. He called them to himself. Okay, that's important, to teach them. Not to rebuke him. He called them to himself to remind them, to teach him, to give them some knowledge and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, that those who have great or who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be 
great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You're looking at a culture that's been oppressed by slavery for years and centuries. And for someone to say that I did not come to make you free men to go out and rule over other men, but to be slaves and servants, you got to understand how profoundly insane that would sound to them. Like, what? You're the Messiah. We're supposed to be resetting up Jerusalem. We're supposed to be above everybody in the world. And we're supposed to be slaves and servants? Again, lordship. Let's circle back to what he said. He said, I didn't even come here to be served by you, but to serve you even unto the point of death. And why? If we go back up here to 23, right towards the end of it, he says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand, it is not mine to give, but it's for those whom it is prepared by my Father. What was Jesus saying? Was he in full authority or was he under authority? And whose authority was he under? He was under God's authority. And he respected that authority. He said, not by my will. Every time he spoke, he said, by your will be done, God. He was giving us the greatest example of servanthood, even to the point of death. He even washed the disciples' feet after this fact, lowering himself before mankind and, and washing the dirt off of man's feet as he would ultimately go on to do on the cross with his blood, our sin. So this next part that I want to talk about it's going to be rough. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be hard. It's hard for me to talk about it because I'm just as human as anybody else with falls like anybody else. Where do we fit in the kingdom? How do we see ourselves sometimes? You know, we're not no better than the disciples jockeying for position, wondering where our throne is. You know, I have three things written down that come to my mind is sin, self-centered life, and pride. They were all prideful. They were wanting to know where they were going to fit in. They were wondering how it affected them. Not what was going on with their brother Peter, you know. And, that, and it's from sin, sinful thinking, sinful actions, sinful thoughts. How does that carry over into modern life? We do it with our family, our materials, and our titles. How do we do it with our family? Let's look at the dynamic with Zebedee's wife. She wanted what was best for her sons. Just like any ever, all of us do. I want what's best for mine. You want what's best for yours. We all do that. Okay? We all do it. Everybody wants their child to succeed. And no doubt she was a disciple and she wanted her children to succeed. So she approached God for this. How many times do we approach on the behalf of a lost child or a family member? Lord, will you please save him? Send somebody in their life for her. Show Jesus to this person. But sometimes I think we fall in the ditch when it comes to family, like Jimmy says. And I love this because I really started thinking about it. He's like, seared this in my mind, and we don't do it right down the middle because we focus on families in a compartmental way. We look at our earth family, and we want the best for them, but do we look at our eternal family? And do we even care where they're at? Because that's what happened with John and James. They were worried about them, and his mother was worried about their well-being. But the other ten, it didn't even matter. 
what was going on or where they were sitting or the pecking order or whatever. Do we do that with ourselves? Are we more focused on our family and our family's needs? Or can we write it in the middle and say, I am focused on my family and I am focused on my eternal family? Because believe it or not, guys, through Jesus, whether you want to or not, you're all my brothers and sisters. I'll be that goofy one that you want to put in the closet and nobody talk about, but that's me. You know what I mean? So, and I love you that way. I look at you like that way because that's who you are to me. That's who the Bible says you are to me. You are my family. We're going to be in eternity together. Why should we treat people indifferently? You know what I mean? We should love each other, encourage each other, exhort each other. It's not what Jesus did through his whole ministry. Is he not the greatest example that we have of that? But too often, we either rock this side with the family or that side with the family, neglecting both ends. But we got to do it somewhere in the middle. All right? Materials. Now, I gave the analogy of materials. Like, first services might not have been the best, but I'm going to rock it with you guys anyway. Like, say you got a little bitty trailer with a lot of land, and it's got one bedroom, a half bath, and you got to figure out what to do with the rest of the bathroom and a living room. And then you got a seven-bedroom house with, like, two-car garage, the pool, the works, whatever. Okay, you got two ends of the spectrum, right? Two ends. What are you doing with it? On both accords. Are those yours? Are you under the stewardship of God and those possessions he gave you the ability to acquire? And what are you doing with them? Are you bringing God glory? How do you bring God glory with them? Well, let's say you're in the one-bedroom trailer. You got a couch? Can somebody stay on your couch if they need a couch? Are you willing to let that into your home? There are problems into your home to stay on your couch. And they got a lot of land. Can you be able to have a small group there? You know what I mean? Are you using the things that God has given you to glorify him that you are, if you call yourself under the lordship of Christ, a servant? Are you not? What about the seven-room house? What if we have a couple that's living in a house and it's got multiple rooms and all the other rooms has nothing but dust and antiques in it? What good is that? What life is in that home if we're not opening it up to others? It's a hard thought to think about. What are we doing with the time and possessions that are given to us? Are we serving other people with it? Are we under his lordship? Are we being stewards of this? Titles. Titles is another thing. Bosses, like when you're a supervisor or the head of something, the head of your household, father, brother. Let me tell you, I will never know without you guys, you males in this audience, what it's like to have a brother. I mean, like, because I grew up with sisters, so my male interaction is a lot later, so I get to bro out with you guys on a cool level. But when I watch my two sons be brothers, most definitely there's some lording of power over one another. One, the youngest one sometimes tries to poise himself in a manner where he's not going to let the older one get to him, but I don't know how. He's just got, like, this secret diagram of the buttons to push, but he can walk by and just give him a look, and it's like WWE gone live in my house. And it's like, what? Over what? You know, so yes, even family can lord over their title over you in some fashion or form. You know what I mean? Um, we'll talk about that later. And, and, and anyway, you know, families, materials, titles, these are things that we're earthly minded of, and they were earthly minded of. They were thinking, you know, where, what, how's this going to benefit me? How, how am I going to be great from this? Where do I fit into this? Me, 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 me. 
don't come to church Sunday. And I don't even like saying church like that. Don't come to the church building without expecting to be the church. Don't fill a seat and think you have not an obligation to the person sitting beside of you. It's wrong. If I have to say it that way, that's the way I'm going to say it because I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to go through this scripture as I was reading it. God blessed my heart with some passages and it painted a picture for me. I don't know if I have the aptitude or the ability to articulate the words of the picture that he painted in my heart, but I'm going to try to through these three scriptures. I hope that you can follow me. So the first is going to be in Exodus. We're going to chapter 20. And they had laws back then concerning servants, or 21, sorry. So the idea of servanthood was not foreign to God's people, or the idea of slaves was not this foreign concept to people. Okay, this has been around forever. This is since the beginning has come into man's world. All right. Oh, that was wrong. Yeah, 21. I can't read, guys. I need glasses. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. In the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons and or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her master's, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go out free. Then the master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awe, and he shall serve him forever. So let's get the gravity of what that's saying. It's saying that during that time, it was acceptable for debt or whatever reason that you needed, you could sell yourself into servanthood, but it would only last for six years. On the seventh year, you could go free. If you were married and you went into this service, you got to go out with your wife. But let's say for some reason you're out serving the master and you get a lovely maid or whatever you want to call her catches your eye and he gives her to you and she becomes wife in your duty of service and you have children. When that seventh year comes up, you have two choices. You can walk away and be free. Or you can say, I love my wife, my master, my children, or my master, my wife, my children. And they'll take you before the judges and pierce your ear with an awe on a doorpost. And you're his forever, giving up your freedom for them out of your love. Okay? Follow. Now we're going to Psalms 46. Verse 6 is what we're going to be reading. Maybe down into 7 too. So sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. 
Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. So, when he says, open my ear, I know it's real easy for us to think he opened my ears, I can hear. But if we're talking about how their language was and how they would have understood it back then when this psalm was wrote, and it was definitely by David and it was a messianic prophecy through Jesus Christ, whenever they would read opening, they would have the understanding of the opening of the ears means it was pierced. What we just read in Exodus 21. My ears were open. I was pierced. What do you say? Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God did not want to have to have this sacrifice of sin, but it's necessary. You understand that? Let's, let's move forward to Hebrew. This is going to tie this whole thing up. So we're going to go to Hebrew 10, and we're going to go verses 5 and 9. And the author of Hebrew is reflecting on this passage. He says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offering and sacrifice for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volumes of the book. It is written of me to do your will. Do you notice the change in the verse? He said, My ear was open." He said, you prepared a body for me. When we talk about a body, now here's the beautiful picture I'm going to try to paint for you if I can in these three passages that has spanned through the Bible at this long period. Here's the beautifulness in it. Jesus come down to be a servant to God who was his master. During his service, he was given a bride. It's called the church. Upon the time that Jesus' service had come up to leave, his service was done. He went before the Roman Empire, before Pontius Pilate, and was pierced with three piercings to be eternal to us. His life he gave up for us. His bride he fell in love with during his service to his master. He's always loved. He's always loved us. And was opened, not in his ear, but with his body. Because there was no sacrifice that was pleasing to God. There was nothing that could cover our sin except for Jesus. And he did it because he loved us. I'm not saying that Jesus is eternal slave. I'm not trying to get at anything like that. There is true freedom in slavery. But we got to understand where that comes from and how that comes. How does that come? We put ourselves under the lordship of God. When we profess Jesus Christ in our life and we say, do you know what you're saying when you say Jesus is my Lord? That he affects everything and does everything and provides everything and his want and his need and everything that he needs you to do comes before your want, your need, and every other thing that's in your life. He's calling you to do something way beyond yourself. Why does he do it? In his kingdom, he wants to show you love and how to love one another. And that's through serving one another. Because too often this world's cold. Too often we go into society and people use materials and they use titles and they use these things and think that they have a power over you to control you. But really, if you want to transform or shape anyone, 
You do it out of a sincere, deep place of love. And love is not beautiful. It's not rainbows. It's not pretty. It's something that's deep and dark and muddy sometimes. One of my favorite verses in one of the songs that I listen to, it says, too often we hide under roof and steeple afraid of broken people. Do we not put ourselves in the position to go find someone that's lost? Do we come here where it's safe? And do we really even feel safe around each other? One of the ways that we do things around here is small group. One of the most wonderful things that, I've, that has changed me profoundly, that like the way that people love on each other. We have this thing going on across the big church to where, and I hate using this term, that unchurched people aren't getting really exposed to as much as they used to. It's more like church members are bouncing from church to church to church. Why is that? It's like they're looking for something. They're looking for John 15 is what they're looking for. He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. By what? The way you love one another. It's not about sitting shoulder to shoulder with each other on once a week. It's about the way you live your life through the week with each other. When people witness that, it changes the community around you. It affects the culture that you live in. We can never change the world because we know where the world is going. The Bible tells us where the world is going. But we can affect and change the culture and the society that we're in and go after the lost sheep that are in it by the way that we serve one another, the way that we love one another, the fact that we put each other before our own selves, our own needs, and our own wants. wants. Why? Because we're all family. You're my brothers, you're my sisters, each one of you. I care about you, and I'll be that weird cousin, nephew, or brother, however you want to relate to me. They let me out of the pit just to come and talk to you guys. I'm usually talking to kids. But, like, you know, and I talk to them just like this, too. These little kids are like sponges. They get it. They're like, and then sometimes they don't. They're, they're like this. I'm not going to lie. But I had the opportunity to do it because of the way that I was loved on. A lot of you know my past. I talk about being a drug dealer and the things that were involved in that lifestyle. I mean, ultimately, if we talk about it on a real level, I hated people. I just wanted what they had, their possession of money and things like that and time. You know, I was like a vampire. I sucked things from their life. Never gave them anything. I was a consumer. You will never be fulfilled if that's all you do is you take. You will never be fulfilled or have purpose in this life if you're just a warehouse for God's grace and mercy. You just keep getting it. Oh, that's good for me, God. That's good for me. I'm glad you told me that. He doesn't want that for you. He wants that for you and abundantly for other people. We got to be conductors of this to one another. We have to spread it as soon as we get it to other people because it transforms people. It changes people. All right? Lordship. I keep thinking about this word lordship. It's such a strong term to say I'm under the lordship of God, but how do we really live it? Are we really living it? Some of us are. Some of us aren't. But that's, these kind of messages are about accountability. Accountability is love. It's taking a personal inventory saying, Lord, am I really giving you all aspects of my life? And if I'm not, can you show me? Can you show me how to do that? Can you show me where I could let you in that I'm not letting you in? There's nothing wrong with having a nice house or a car or a truck. What's wrong is what you do with it and your intentions with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's wrong to withhold from others and just store for yourself because that's not how we're called or who we're called to be. The reason we consume so much 
is we're trying to fill this void inside of us that can never be filled. But the minute we start outputting and giving to one another, the fullness that we have is so abundant that it affects everything around us. And that's how we were made. We were made for that purpose. We were made to serve one another. We were made to glorify God through it. How do you glorify God through serving one another? So I get the opportunity sometimes to be able to teach spiritual gifts. I really love it. I love teaching. That's my spiritual gift. I I love getting in God's word and just telling people about it. Because too often it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, I'm telling you, and I'm getting cut at the same time, like, oh, you know what God said? And I just did this the other day. I'm telling you about slavery, right? Uh, being slaves to things. But, like, too often we think about material possessions being something that's an idol. We put that before God, right? And then I'm like, oh, I would never do that. I would never put nothing before God. And then, like, uh, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm listening to Jimmy preach. I check my phone. I put it back in my pocket. And then he's like, turn with me to your cellular device. And I'm like, all right. And I, I too often sometimes become a slave to this. I let it control me. Uh, I look at it. I see, you know, who, who's emailed me, what my life centers around it sometimes. So I've learned I've got to put him first and put this down. Get in this more. See what he's saying to me. Not worry about what's on Facebook or other things like that. Um, It's really hard to do a self-inventory of what that's like in your life. Like, what am I not letting the Lord have over me? What do you get when you do do that? It goes back to the story I was going to tell you, spiritual gifts. A lady, not too long ago in my last class, come into spiritual gifts, and she did the inventory. The spiritual gifts inventory is a series of questions at the end. And it, it goes on this, like, number rating thing. And it's not who you're going to be or, like, what your spiritual gift is. It's not the end-all, be-all. But it gives you an inclination. It's just like an indicator, a marker. Like, you might want to look into this avenue of serving. This is strong in, in your wheelhouse to look at. it. And hers was exhortation and evangelism, to be an evangelist. And she looked at me with the strangest look, and she was like, that's not me. That's not me. And I was like, why is that not you? And she's like, I'm an introvert. And I was like, well, that's what God does. He calls us out of our comfort zone too often to get his glory. Because what happens when we operate where we're comfortable doing? If I was like 6'2 and could dunk and went out and played basketball, would you say that, you know, that would not be something unnatural? 6'2, I should be able to dunk and do some amazing things. But what if I was like 4'9 and was dunking? Would that be amazing? Yeah, that, w- that would have to be definitely a godly thing to be four foot nine and be able to do a, a dunk, you know what I mean? That's just where it's at. God calls us out of our comfort zone so that he can be glorified for it so we can't say, hey, look what I did. Too often that happens. We need to be out of our comfort zone. So three weeks ago, I'm walking through the hallway getting ready for the pit. No, my children ministry, these, I love these guys. But I'm getting ready, and who do I see at the end of the hallway? I see that lady that was in spiritual gifts class handing out stuff and greeting people at the door as they were coming in. And she was flexing that spiritual gift that God gave her of evangelism and loving people as they come into the door. Even at that small level, we would think, you know, that's not nothing monumental, but it is the way that you shake someone's hand by looking at them in the eye 
by giving them a smile, letting them know that you're caring, that you're engaged with them. And I had to hug her. I was just like, oh, my gosh, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're being obedient to the lordship of Jesus by letting him call you out of your comfort zone and doing what it is he called you to do. Are we doing that? And that's what he's saying is going to be done in his kingdom. We, we call Christ our Lord. He places us sometimes in positions we're not comfortable with. Sometimes we're not comfortable talking to people about ourselves. Sometimes we're not comfortable talking to people, period. You know, I can't say that I really enjoy talking to every person I come across, but sometimes he's put me in a position where I needed to talk to him. And it's been hard, and he's got me through it. And, and that's what we should all be doing, is looking at the example that is Jesus. Here's your example. Imagine being over everything that is created and taking on a sinful form, a weak form, the weakest form, a form that can't even control itself, and being flawless. And then imagine the same creation that you're like hating you, even though you love it tremendously, hating you to the point that it kills you, and you come back to life for it, for all eternity. That was, and he did it. He, he come down and was the ultimate servant and remains that way. He gave God the glory every time somebody bows their head and professes his name. And God gives him the glory and it'll be foreshown in this one time. And this is something hard to talk about because most definitely it affects the lost person, but it should motivate the Christian. And that's the great white throne judgment. When that day happens in history, all man will be there to be judged for what their life is. And we read this. And it's not that we as Christians should take one side of the road like, I'm glad I'm on this side of the fence. It sucks to be them over there. We should be crying in our heart and seeking after those. We should be using every minute and every second of the day to love each other and to go after the lost people. We should think about how can I be a good steward of the things that are in my house? How am I a good steward to my wife? How am I a good steward to my children? Because ultimately, if you look at your life that way, if you step out of your life and you look down the road and you look at the throne and you see yourself there already and you reline it back up and say, okay, you're my Lord. Show me how to use these things around me. He's going to use you to be a powerhouse. You are going to change things you never even knew were possible and affect people that you didn't even know that you could affect with God's grace and his mercy and his love through Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Listen, guys, my challenge to you is if you come in Sunday upon Sunday, and that's the only time you come in and do anything involved with the church family, don't do it. Get invested with each other. I mean, we do small groups for a reason. It's so that you have a safe place to go and talk about life and be a part of each other and let people have those awkward conversations. I mean, think about being with a weirdo like me. I mean, like, you know, it would be strange for me to talk about some of the things that are in my mind with her because it just, I could not, I wouldn't even want you in there. It gets crazy sometimes. But the way that I've been affected by it is I've watched my brother-in-law come in here 
before I ever come to church. I had a disposition against him because of his walk in life and didn't agree with it. Not because I was a Christian, because I was still a sinner at that time. I still had an issue with the way he walked his life. And his life, unfortunately for him, is storied all over his arms and his body in tattoos. And if you know anything about him, you could read and instantly know where he's been in life. One of the things that he said to me when he come to this particular congregation was, I rolled my sleeves up and I walked in and I was like, all right, they're going to look at me and that's going to tell me all I need to know. And he said when he come in and they started shaking his hand and talking to him and slapping him on the back, he, he didn't know how to act because he was being loved on and not judged by no one. He was experiencing that Christ love and it changed him. And he, to look at his body and hear his words, it's like seeing two different men. I heard another woman get up once and testify that God was a strong appeal. Myself, being from the background that I was, hunkered down and started looking around. I was waiting for the murmurs from people leaning over like, <laughs> never once did I see it. I saw hands raised saying, praise God and glorifying God for her freedom from that addiction. It was encouragement. It was love. How did that affect me? I'm teaching your kids. <laughs> I, I found my calling and my purpose that God has given me to teach through watching how other people loved and served each other. And I'm challenging you to do that. Go home. Pray to them. Talk to them. Say, Lord, you are my Lord. What am I not giving to you? What can I give to others? What is it that you want me to do? Your will be done. Don't let me take this too often, too often, and I've caught myself doing it just as much as anybody else. Go do something that you have a really good idea of. Say, this would be good to help somebody. And it be out of God's wheelhouse and expect him to bless it. And it go down in flames and be like, well, I wonder why God didn't bless that. Maybe it's because I was operating out of God's wheelhouse. I wasn't listening to what he wanted me to do. That would be like me saying, and I, I really do. I wish I had this gift. I don't, but... I wish I could sing. I'm going to take on singing for Shane one day. You guys would never come back. <laughs> never come back. Like, if that's who they let on the stage, I don't even want to hear the preaching. This is going to be insane. Didn't gift me that way. But if I took that on my own volition to say I'm going to do it, I'm going to be a singer, I'm operating out of his wheelhouse. He's gave me a different gift. He's gave me a gift of teaching and encouraging others. I want you to look around. Just take a minute and look around at each other. Your family. How are you serving one another? Think about your family at home. How are you serving your family? Don't compartmentalize them. Let's say this is my family at home and this is my family at church. You're doing them a great injustice. Put them together and see what happens. Ride right down the road with it. This is my family and this is my family, and I want them to be a part of the same thing, and that's Jesus. I mean, Jesus paid every bit of our debt, and when he did that, we become full possessions of God. Do you understand that? You are a possession of God. How many times did Jesus talk about the good servant versus the bad servant, the good master, the bad master, all these things like this? It's for a reason. It's for us to understand this idea of who God is, 
and why he operates the way he does and who he operates through. God is a loving father, but he's a fair father. He's hard when he needs to be hard, and he's soft when he needs to be soft. I've learned this. Trust me, because I'm about as hard-headed as they come, so my wife would tell you. I love you. (laughs) And we have to submit ourselves in order to find freedom. We are truly free from sin. That Therefore, we never have to worry about it or be burdened by it again. Do we sin? Yes. Does it happen? Yes, we fail. But we get strength through Christ, through his grace. It's sufficient. He died once and only once. Not every time we sin, but one time he died for our sin. He has covered us for eternity. We just need to be in a state of constant repentance and looking towards him for his lordship. We should never try to operate outside of what Jesus has called us to do or God has willed us to do. We should always look to the greatest example we have, and that's Jesus. So what is that? Are we making sacrifices in our life for others? And if we're not, why? What can God call us to do to be out of our comfort zone? Our materials, are we treating them like owners of possessions Or are we treating them like stewards? That I don't really possess this. It belongs to God. How am I using it to glorify him? And the title we have, I don't even want a title. I don't want one. I just want to be your brother and sisters. You know, I want to be family. That's the title I want. I could care less if I have any kind of title in life anymore. I mean, there was a point where I wanted to pursue stuff in my workplace and endeavors like that. You know, just because it was the earthly idea to say, hey, I can achieve this with my family on this level if I have this title. But I'm not doing that math no more because that title is going to go away. All of our titles are going to go away. If you're clinging and living your life on the title, understand when you look outside of your life down the road at Jesus, the only title you need to have is child of God, saved, redeemed, loved by. That's the title you should be most concerned with. And that will affect when you line your sight back up with how you live your life and how you live your life with other people and what you do with your life. Guys, this is so monumental what Jesus said to them. And you got to remember, the way that Jesus said it's just important. And the way that he's saying it does right now is just important. Just because we got issues in our life, just because we might not be living under his lordship, doesn't mean that he's not sitting there trying to minister to us in a loving way, that maybe this is something that we need to give up. Maybe we need to submit this to him, whatever it is in anybody's life. Because ultimately, we do it for his glory and our good. And that's all that I want for any of you guys, is to be able to say, I have joy, and I know what joy is. Because I didn't know what joy was. I, didn't know. I, I knew what happiness was. It's momentary. I get happy, unhappy, happy, unhappy. But I've had some instances in my life now where there was great stress and have peace that I can't even describe to you because of what Jesus is doing in my life. It's amazing. Um, I mean, you all know that we went through uh, miscarriage not too long ago. But guess what? We had a piece together that was amazing. And now, we're how many weeks? Eight? Eight weeks we're blessed with another one. You know what I mean? 
God is good. And I don't know where this pregnancy is going to go, but I'm cool with it. You know why I'm cool with it? Because I took that time to look down the line and know I'm going to be there. Whatever happens from here to there, that's in his wheelhouse. But I know I'm down there with him. All I want to be is with him. So when I line back up in life, I live my life that way. And I don't want you to, I'm not drumming my drum. That's just how he's affected me. That's how I'm calling you to be. I'm challenging you to line your side up on God. And the way that you do it is the way that you serve one another. Okay? I want to talk to you real quick about, I don't even know if I got it. Yes. We got a response form uh, right here. I'm going to have a few guys go up and down the aisle. I'm going to ask you, look at this. Consider it. If you don't serve, consider getting involved and loving on your, your church family. Find out where God's gifted you at. There's all kinds of ministries on here. I mean, I, I would shamelessly plug children's ministry. We need you. We need you. We need you. But... Beyond that, you've got like media, worship, you got the sound team, you got Celebrate Recovery, which I think is too overlooked because it's got a stigma about it. People always talk about Celebrate Recovery. What's the stigma? Come on, somebody. Why do people, huh? Addiction drugs. Addiction drugs. That's the stigma to it. But if we really look at what it is, it's hurts, habits, and hangups. And who all has hurts, habits, and hangups? Every one of us. Do you know what goes down at Celebrate Recovery? Nothing. Because nobody tells anything. It's a safe place for you to go and talk about what's on your mind. You know what I mean? You can go there. You can share with people. You can share the ugly that's inside of you and be held accountable to do more. I ain't even going to pretend like I'm going to say what Jimmy said last week about being okay because I will mess it up. But we all know it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay okay. Is that it? I got it. Woo! Mark one up for me. But... That's, that's celebrate recovery. You can find that there. There are different ways. Go ahead. If, if, you're, if you're scared about serving, we've got evangelism class. We've got spiritual gifts class. We've got spiritual maturity classes that happen quarterly on Wednesday nights you can be involved of. And the wonderful thing about being here is you're in a place where somebody wants to take you, disciple you, and move you forward to be able to do that to somebody else. Because that's what we're all called to do. You're not called just to sit side by side to each other once a week and not think about one another for the rest of the week. We should be genuinely concerned with each other. Our concern and our love and our thought of each other affects everything and everybody around us. You know? And, and so I challenge you. If you're not involved, try to get involved. If you're scared of ministry... Don't be. You're called to be a minister. You're called to serve one another. Each and every one of us are. And you won't know what God's going or how he's going to bless you until you start doing it. Okay? Another thing I want to talk about real quick in your interest form is the celebrate decorating party. I'm not trying to get off of a subject. But Wednesday, November the 28th at 6 p.m., they're going to have people come up here and decorate and obviously, I'm going to be here, but I'm, I'm going to be a servant. I'm not going to be over any kind of authority over this because it could get weird if I started decorating. I could barely dress myself today. I was going to come with rocking two little buttons here and just kind of relax. And my wife's like, it's all in or it's all out. You can't do that. And I was like, okay, okay. So I had to consign to her and be like, okay, 
Okay, I will listen to you. What's the point of me saying this other than saying this is an opportunity for you to serve? It's how we view these things. Here's the lesson. How would you view that? Are you viewing it like, I don't know, I got my favorite TV show. I got like not enough time with my kids. I, I got work all day, come home, slave, and then turn around and go 6 o'clock. We're providing food, and people can cook around here. I'm not starving. I'm just saying, you know, uh, or whatever the other excuse is, are we looking at it as an opportunity that we can fellowship with somebody, get to know people we don't know, be involved in other people's lives, and let them be involved in ours? Because there's where pride comes in. Ultimately, all preachers and sermons drive this passage back to humility. We got to be humble to serve people. We got to be willing to say, it's not about me. It's about you and you and you. Can we do that for each other? Are we willing to do that for each other? You know, these are opportunities through the year that we can do so. Don't waste it. Does it call for sacrifice? Yeah. The Christian life calls for sacrifice. What are you valuing more? That TV show or, or time or whatever? Or are you willing to sacrifice this to maybe gain something more than you ever knew that you could have? Doing something as basic as putting up a Christmas tree. I mean, it's, it's that serious. It's that real. So I challenge you to think about that today as y'all leave here. I want to close in Scripture since we started in Scripture. And we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to go to verse 7. I'm going to read a little word before it. It says, But made himself God, but made himself of no reputation. So when God came to earth, he didn't even have a title. No reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant, translated slave, and coming in the likeness of men, us, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. His full ultimate act of sacrifice and obedience brought God glory for people like me and you. That power that they're talking about is in each and every one of you through the Holy Spirit in this room. Don't block it. Guys, don't block it. Let it out. Love somebody no matter where they're at in life. Be bold to be a used. It's okay. If you let somebody in and they use you, it's okay. First Peter, you go into Peter, he talks all about suffering at the hands of other people. It's okay. Because eventually in their mind, they're going to say, why are they treating me like that? And they have to come face to face with God. You're bringing him glory. I'm going to close this in prayer. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for this day that we get to just hang out in your word and, and hear from you. And we love you so much. Lord, I just... Open our hearts to your lordship. Help us submit 
the areas of our life that we have might have been withholding from you, Lord. Help us look at each other on a different level that we are brothers and sisters. Help us have a deeper concern for one another and a deeper love for one another, Lord. Help us and give us the tools to be able to minister to one another, Lord. And help us go after those lost sheep, Lord. Help us put us in the positions that makes that happen. Lord, let us be that John 15 church where everybody knows us to be Jesus Christ's disciples just simply by the way that we love one another. Lord, we just thank you so much for all the good blessings that you do in our life that we don't even see and the hardships you help us get through and overcome. And we just thank you for all the good things you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.